save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Parade, which is now showing here in New York, when it first started showing, there were all sorts of protests by Nazis. And then there were counter-demonstrators protesting against the neo-Nazis. And it uh, made me curious about what this play was about. Why are people out there protesting it? Well, it turns out This play is a dramatization of the 1913 trial and imprisonment and then the subsequent lynching of a Jewish New Yorker named Leo Frank in Georgia. And someone who has written extensively about the case, she's written a thesis which is awaiting publishing, is a state court judge in Cobb County, Georgia, Judge Jane Manning. And uh, based on what I've read of her thesis, I think there are fewer people that could be better informed on ca- on this case, especially the legal merits of it, than she is. Uh, judge, thanks for uh, joining me on the radio. Appreciate you staying up late. Thank you, Frank. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So uh, let's pretend our audience has no idea who Leo Frank uh, was and they have no idea what this case was about. Give us the uh, the thumbnail sketch, the Reader's Digest version of what the Leo Frank case was. Leo Frank was a northerner, a Jew, who um, came to Atlanta to run his uncle's pencil factory. In 1913, on uh, Confederate Memorial Day, one of his employees, Mary Fagan, a 13-year-old girl, came to get her pay on a Saturday. He was the last person known to have seen Mary Fagan. The next day, her body was found in the basement of the pencil factory. Um, It's disputed whether or not she was sexually uh, molested or not. Um, Various people were arrested. Uh, the attention turned to Leo Frank, and this became the O.J. Simpson case of the day. He eventually was convicted. Um, interestingly enough, 
solely on the uh, statement of a black employee, Jim Coney, who, which is totally um, probably the first person in Georgia ever, to, a white person, to be convicted on the testimony of a black person. Uh, he had numerous appeals, and uh, eventually he was lynched uh, two years later by a mob from Marietta, Georgia, where I live. And the lynching took place right down the street from my house. Wow. So um, he was lynched and killed post-conviction? Yes. He had. Um, he was sentenced to death. But Governor uh, Slayton, uh, probably one of the last acts that he did as governor, commuted him to um, a life sentence. And he had 13 appeals while he was alive and had gone all the way up to the uh, United States Supreme Court. And um, he was uh, in the prison in Milledgeville, Georgia, over 100 miles from here. And one night, uh, 35 of uh, Marietta's finest citizens, including uh, the DA, a judge, state representatives, uh went down in the middle of the night, got him out of the prison, and lynched him up here in Marietta, Georgia. Wow. Wow. Now, why at the time uh, did... Now, was the victim, the victim in this case, was she black? No, she was white. Why did the case get so much attention back in 1913? I mean, you mentioned the O.J. Simpson case. A lot of folks say that was the trial of the century. Why was, uh, why was this case so high profile? Well, it started off with the identity of the victim herself. She was, uh, I think she started working outside the family home when she was 10 years old. You have to remember that this was a time of great upheaval in the Southern community. And people had gone from the agrarian communities to the industrial communities. And uh, child labor was very common, especially uh, the Georgia uh, Chamber of Commerce advertise, bring your factory to Georgia. We have lots of children that you can employ. So the family um, was uprooted, and especially a southern man felt emasculated that his uh, the, the girls and the women um, had to work. And then they went off into a place where uh, their parents didn't have any control over them and what might happen to them if they went to work in a, in a factory. Were they going to be preyed upon sexually? Would they uh, flirt with boys and have boyfriends? Um, so it was a loss of control of the family. Her, when Mary Fagan, And Mary Fagan was a no one, but 5,000 people filed past her, her coffin. And it, it just really touched a nerve with uh, the Southern society at the time. What's happening to our girls when they get out of our sight? What was it? You mentioned the uh, testimony of the one black witness, and one doesn't necessarily think of uh, Southern juries in 1913 as being the most enlightened when it came to racial issues. What were what was it that led to his conviction and led the jury to take the word of that one witness to convict him and at least initially send him to to the death penalty? Well, um, there was, uh, Leo Frank was an outsider, 
uh, and I think that that worked against him. He was a, a northerner. He was a Jew. He was wealthy. That's another thing that goes back to what happened to Mary Fagan is is um, the exploitation and 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 of, of a wealthy person taking advantage of of this poor girl. But uh, Jim Coney, who most people now believe was the murderer, he was benefited by the prejudices against black people. Um, And he used that to uh, weave a tale. Um, For example, uh, he gave five different statements to police and the police were, you know, would he give one statement? They were like, well, that doesn't really match up with what, what we think happened. So finally he gave uh, five, five different statements. There was a feeling back then that a black person would naturally lie the first time. And it was only the last story that you got was really the truth. And um, and and another thing that happened with him is that uh, he had a lawyer, William Smith, who was a white man, who uh, uh, represented uh, black people. And William Smith worked with him so much on his testimony that Jim Coney was really able to uh, weave this unbelievable tale about Leo Frank and sexual perversion. And and Jim Coney withstood three days of cross-examination by one of the best lawyers in Atlanta at the time. And that led to his uh, credibility as well. Um, so, and you have the mob mentality uh, going on w- at the trial that probably the um, it would have been difficult for the uh, jurors to, to not find him guilty with the um, with the, the mob outside uh, basically screaming for his conviction. Uh, we're talking with uh, Judge Jane Manning. She's uh, written a thesis on the Leo Frank uh, case. So in terms of – you mentioned the mob screaming for his conviction. They got his conviction, and then uh, was the reason that they broke into the jail and lynched him was because the death sentence had been commuted? They felt that he should have the death sentence? What was the sort of the mentality of the mob at the time? Well, that was two years later, of course. Um there's a great book. You said that you were interested in it. Uh, there's a fabulous book. It's called And the Dead Shall Rise, and it's written by Steve Oney, O-N-E-Y. And he goes into what happened after the, the trial and, um, and and goes into the motivation of the local citizens that lynched uh, Leo Frank. And um, a lot of them felt that they were the ones doing justice, that, that, that Leo Frank had escaped justice. And they were the ones carrying out the sentence that the jury imposed. The um, and as far as because I know race and class does play a pretty big role in this whole uh, situation. Do we have any idea of the race of the angry mob that lynched Leo Frank? Was it a multiracial mob? Was it all white people? Oh no, it was it was all white. It all was white. it was these city fathers of Marietta, and there were over thirty of them. Including the DA, uh, and and uh, so that's that's who that's who lynched him. That's incredible. Uh, I um, and now have you have you seen the show Parade? 
No, no, but I, I feel like I must. Yeah, I, I, uh, I am certainly eager to, uh, to see it as well. Here's a little bit of the uh, neo-Nazis uh, protesting outside of the show. Maybe. The truth about the ADL, well, learn about the truth about that you're going to see tonight. You're paying 300 bucks to go f-ing worship a pedophile. You might as well know what you're talking about. Romanticizing pedophiles. Wow. I think you're It's clear that there are some, and it seems like some of the hate groups that were out there protesting, their beef was more with the fact that Leo Frank was Jewish, and there's a a show uh, that portrays him in a sympathetic manner. But there seems to be at least some people who believe that Leo Frank was guilty of this murder. I know that you said that uh, Jim Coney is uh, the the person most people believe is the murderer. Is there a realistic chance that Leo Frank actually could have convicted, committed this murder? I will say that it couldn't have happened the way that Jim Coney said it would. Jim, Jim Conley, I'm Conley, Coney and Conley, excuse me. Um, he said that uh, Leo Frank had had all these uh, trysts at work, and uh, he and and Jim Conley would uh, be a uh, a lookout for him, and that um, and and Leo Frank came out and said, uh, "Watch for me while I'm." having this girl in my office and then he, he, he kills her and he says, uh, let's, let's get rid of the body. Um, that's one thing that governor Slayton did and, and he's portrayed in the, in the play, as far as I can tell, he's probably the only one who's, um, uh, you know, is, is, has any, um, redeeming characters, characteristics out of the, a lot of the players. Um, there was no way that it could have happened the way that, um, Jim Conley said that it did with moving the body and the elevator and all these things in the, in the pencil factory. So there's no way that it could have happened the way that Jim Conley said it did. You're a judge, obviously. How would this trial be different if it were held in Georgia today in 2023 rather than 1913? Well, one of the most interesting things is if you want to tie it to today, it's really akin to the Alex Murdoch case um, with the use of character evidence. And as you know, in the, in the Alex Murdoch case, uh, they went into great detail about his financial crimes. And, and, and that is in the law that's called other acts. And uh, this trial had over 200 character witnesses, both for Leo Frank and against Leo Frank and for and against all these all these other witnesses that that testified, two hundred character witnesses, and that would be uh, severely uh, prohibited today. Which comes back to the pedophile thing. Leo Frank was never uh, charged with Mary's rape or molestation. Uh, this they did do um, autopsies back then. They they couldn't find spermatosa. They did sort of their own rape investigation, and they never uh, could come to a consensus as to whether or not uh, Mary had been raped. Uh, so as a result, in Georgia, because that was not charged, they couldn't get into all the perversion um, uh, accusations against Leo Frank. So uh, it. it just like the Alex Murdoch case, they had they had to have that separate determination by the judge to bring in all his financial crimes. Hmm. Uh, and so with this, without a rape, 
uh, Leo Frank's sexual activities, whether what people testified to were true or false, I, I don't know, but uh, those would not come in. So, um, so the character evidence would not come in, and that was over 200 witnesses. Uh, obviously, in the coverage of the parade, uh, the, the parade, the musical, it's easy to see how this, uh, this story has centered around anti-Semitism. And, and Leo Frank, as you write in your thesis, his grave is actually in Brooklyn, and it's considered uh, a shrine. Uh, it, a lot of, it's obvious that Leo Frank's lawyers thought that anti-Semitism was to blame for his arrest and eventually his conviction. What role did anti-Semitism play in his conviction, as far as you can tell? Well, you have to realize about the Jewish history in the South. Um, it's, and I guess I take a little umbrage with it being a Southerner, but uh, the the nation's um, oldest synagogue is in Savannah. The history of Jews in the South goes way, way back, and uh, Jews were um, considered uh, pillars of the community. Um, so. There's a there's a school of thought that um, his his Jewishness was not so much against him as was his other ways of being an outsider, the New Yorker, the rich person, the exploiter, uh, and and um, and that uh, that may have had a bigger impact on people being against him than um, the, than the Jewishness. Um, and also, it was his attorneys who, who, as you say, felt that his Jewishness worked against him. But um, it was really when um, the we haven't even talked about the press and how rabid the press was and how these newspapers used this. But for the the pro Frank uh, people and the anti Frank people, that it wasn't until uh, the, the the northern Jews got involved in it that the Southerners felt that they were outsiders coming in and, and trying to undo justice. So it is considered the most egregious example of anti-Semitism in the United States. And there were shouts of hang the Jew outside the courtroom and things like that. But I think it plays more to just Frank being an outsider than necessarily uh, being, being Jewish with the history of uh, Jewishness in, in the South. And uh, in terms of the 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 case itself, what sparked your interest in it? Obviously, I know that you're a judge in Georgia, and this is a very famous trial that took place in Georgia. Was there something beyond that that called you to uh, devote so much scholarship to this? Well, it, um, I've I've heard uh, there, there's a local attorney who does continuing legal education uh, with the Leo Frank uh, case. Um, that sparked it. The, the Oni book, which is it's it's excellent, but it's 700 pages. I read that years ago, and um, it was just when in, in, in pursuit of my my thesis, uh, my master's in judicial studies, that, that this came about. And plus, it's so local. Like I said, he was lynched right down the street from me. There's a right. there's a historical plaque there. Only only in Georgia can you have a historical plaque like this. Uh, in front of a Waffle House. <laughs> uh, lastly, Judge, w- w- unrelated to this, we did a, a segment on the show yesterday exploring whether judges who retire honorably 
should still be called judge after they leave the bench. You'll be a retired judge one day. Uh, what do you think about this? Should people still keep calling you judge after you leave the bench? It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> it does not matter. One one thing to me, I've, I've been a judge for six years, and still sometimes when people call me judge, I'm like, are they talking to me? <laughs> uh, so, But it's... Um, uh, I'll tell you, I told my mother after I got elected, I said, um, after I got divorced, somebody told me it, it it rearranges every fiber in your being when you go through a divorce. And it's sort of the same with being a judge. It is it is that um, it's it's pretty earth shaking and, and humbling. And but if if you call me that you do, if you don't, that's fine, too. Got it. Well, thank you, Judge. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll look forward to uh, reading this thesis again when it's published. Maybe we'll have you back on to talk about the case a bit more. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 